Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. All right, well, we are in week six of a series that we started uh, about five weeks ago, and uh, we've been talking about the subject you see there on the screen, not my job. Specifically, we have been looking at some of the jobs that we as Christians or we as humans attempt to do on God's behalf and generally end up failing miserably in the process, hurting ourselves, hurting other people. And so, uh, as the subtitle suggests, we've been discovering our role. Know your role and don't play God. I love the way my wife put it a few weeks ago. She said, Jesus has called us to live like him, but we are not supposed to be Jesus. We don't get to step into his shoes and attempt to do his job. God is fully capable of doing his own job and he does not need human help in the process. But we do have a role to play in all of it. And uh, we've been discussing some of those roles and some of those jobs over the last few weeks. In week one, uh, we talked about the fact that it's not our job to convict the world of sin. And then we talked about vengeance and we talked about the fact that uh, it's not our job to produce the fruit of righteousness in our lives, that only God can produce fruit, that kind of fruit in our lives. And uh, then we talked about provision a couple of weeks ago. I love that that came up in the baptism today. That's just really cool, the, the timeliness of the Holy Spirit and how he speaks to people uh, as they walk into this room. By the way, if you're here for the first time today, God already knew you were gonna be here and he's got something specific to speak to you. So tune your ear, tune your heart to what the Holy Spirit wants to say. But we've been talking about those jobs for the last few weeks. And then last week, uh, my good friend, Pastor Rich from the Father's House in Vacaville, which we have a contingent of Vacaville folks here today. Good to see you guys. Uh, he came and he preached an incredible message. I said in the first service, he preached the paint off the walls, but then I looked and the guys were still up there and so they haven't, they haven't made their way down. So the paint is still intact, but he, he preached an incredible message about the fact that timing is not our job. It, it ministered to so many people. I, I talked to so many people in the lobby afterwards that just said, that message was for me today. And if you were not here, let me strongly encourage you, go back, get on the YouTube, listen to the podcast. It was such a powerful message that we don't get to orchestrate God's timing. Our job in the middle of the wait is to build an altar and just worship him while we wait. Such a powerful message. But um, as Rich was preaching, I was doing the responsible Christian thing, taking some notes in the front row. And as I was taking notes, he made a few statements that provoked a question in my heart, and that question served as a catalyst for today's sermon. Um, as he began to speak about God's timing and our frustration often with God's timing and mentioned that sometimes we can get anxious or angry or burnt out or bitter with God because we think something should have happened by now or the opportunity should have presented itself by now and we're wondering where God's at in the midst of it. I, I wrote down this question and it's a question that I want us to consider as we enter into this next installment of this series, not my job. But here's the question I wrote down. What if I'm waiting for the wrong thing? What if I'm waiting for something that's actually never going to happen? What if the opportunity, the promise that I'm clinging to and trying to hold God accountable for, what if it's something that he actually never had in his plans to begin with? What, what if it was all my idea, it was imagined or something I'm trying to superimpose onto the heart of God? You, you know what'll happen if you're waiting for the wrong thing? You will get bitter, you will get twisted, you will get angry. You will wonder where God is at in the midst of your situation because you're trying to hold him accountable for something that was never his plan to begin with. And so today, in exploration of that idea, I'd like to talk about God's plans for our life. Specifically, it is not my job to make plans for my life. The plans for my life are not my job. Because here's the deal. All of us are pursuing a plan for our lives. Everyone in this room, you're running after something. 
But as the great prophet Drake once said, is it God's plan? Is it God's plan for your life? Because it may not be. And if you think it's irreverent to quote Drake on a Sunday morning, then how about this one? All of us are pursuing a plan, but is it plan A? Ooh, you like that? Yeah. I love it when a church just says that. Ooh. <laughs> feel free to throw as many of those in today as you like. It really blesses me. It makes me feel like, I, you know, okay, you're okay. You're doing an okay job, Tim. Good job, good job. Okay, okay, yeah. All of us are pursuing a plan, but is it plan A? Is it truly God's plan that we're pursuing in our lives? Now, to answer that question, we're gonna look at two scriptures. And one of the scriptures, the first of which is, is a relatively familiar scripture in the body of Christ. Many of us have probably quoted it before. You've heard it quoted before. You've heard songs about it. It's stitched into a pillow. It's tattooed on your lower back. Like many of us have, have heard this one before, all right? The other one may not be as familiar, but I promise you it's a scripture that many of us have felt before in our lives. So even if you haven't heard it, you have experienced its reality. Uh, if you've got a Bible, open it up to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11. And as we get into this scripture, just a fair warning, often this scripture is quoted entirely out of context. People use this kind of flippantly in the body of Christ, just throwing around, but we don't really understand the context of this scripture. We will get into its context later on. For, day, for, for this moment, I just wanna kind of plant it in our hearts as we get started. But here's, these are the words of God. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Uh, note the emphasis on I, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. These are his plans. He has good plans, prosper, hope, future, great plans. Now contrast that scripture with what Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 19, verse three, where he says, people ruin their lives by following their own foolish plans and then are angry with the Lord. <laughs> Again, maybe not one that you have a tattoo of, but probably one that we've experienced before. Jeremiah says, God's got good plans. They're to prosper you, hope in the future. But Solomon says, often we end up ruining our lives by following our own plans. And then we try to shake a fist at God and get angry with him about the decisions that we've made. There is an interesting tension between those two scriptures, isn't there? A tension that I think a lot of us might be walking in today. And for the next couple of moments, I wanna do my best to explore that tension and allow us to make a decision. I'm, I'm gonna warn you up front, by the conclusion of the message today, I am going to ask you to make a decision as to whose plans you will pursue moving forward. Will you pursue the plans of God for your life or will we continue to chase after our own plans and ultimately pay the price for our own ill-fashioned plans? So I'm gonna give you a title and fair warning. Uh, this is a two-part sermon. I try not to do that very often because I, I hate it when pastors and preachers do that. They're like, I'm like, okay, you're just trying to get me to come back to church next week. You're not gonna give me a conclusion. You're gonna leave me on a cliffhanger. Uh, that's not my heart. This is just such a massive topic. And the last thing I wanted to do is try to cheapen what I felt the Holy Spirit wanted to say by trying to cram it all into one thing. So we're gonna get a little exhaustive with this because the plan for your life is a big deal, all right? It's not something we should just breeze through. Okay, check the box, we did it on a weekend. I really want us to lay hold of what God has for us in this subject matter. So we're gonna hit half of it today and half of it next week. Uh, but the title for today is Stick to the Plan, Part One. Stick to the Plan, Part One. And that means that next week, you can write on the next page in your journal, stick to the plan, part two, okay? No new sermon titles next week. Uh, let's pray and we'll get into it. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it has the power to transform the way we think and ultimately the way that we live. And as we approach this subject today, a subject that I think is near and dear to every single one of us, we're all running after something. Would you speak to us so clearly 
about the plan and the path you have for each one of us. I ask that even though this message is relatively simple in nature, that through its simplicity, Holy Spirit, you would speak to every heart, that you would captivate our attention and that we would be willing to, to say yes to God's plan for each of our lives because we know that your plan is good and it is to prosper us and to give us a hope and a future. We trust you today in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. All right, a couple of questions I wanna ask you as we start out today. A little calm response if we could. Um, how many of you ever purchased a piece of furniture that you had to assemble yourself? A desk, a dresser, something like that. Okay, okay. Um, how many of you enjoyed assembling that piece of furniture? Yeah, okay. <laughs> you people are weird. All right, all of you lifted your hands. Special place in heaven for you. Yeah, nobody enjoys assembling furniture. It is like, well, some of you do, but none of my friends enjoy, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Especially in San Francisco. I don't know if you've had this experience before, but I get these packages with furniture and you have to assemble it. And as I'm going through all the styrofoam and the cardboard, I'm like, it's gonna take me three weeks to get rid of all of the trash that's left over because my trash cans are so small. I think we should all petition our senators for pre-assembled furniture, all right? Let's, let's, let's do that. But okay, for all of you who've, who've assembled furniture before, uh, next question. How many of you are instruction followers? You open up the instruction manual and you follow the instructions. okay. A much more compliant bunch than the first service. That's awesome, okay. Now, for those of you who just lifted your hand, moment of truth, how many of you follow step one of the instructions? Okay, maybe you're not sure what step one is, so put your hand down. Step one is you lay out every single item that came inside the package, and you put it all out there to make sure you have everything so that you don't end up three quarters of the way through construction only to find that you are missing parts, and then you get on the phone and cuss out the manufacturer. So, again, how many follow step one? Isn't it interesting that so few hands went up that time? Yeah, okay. So you don't follow the instructions. That's what I thought. That has nothing to do with the sermon. I just really wanted to see the honesty level of the Father's house. So that's good. Okay. So for the rest of us who didn't lift our hands uh, for that, I'm assuming you're like me and you generally don't try to follow the instructions. The first thing you think when you open up a piece of furniture is, I think I can build this thing. I don't need any stinking instruction manual. I can do this myself. Like that's what you think, okay? So... Sometimes that works out to our benefit. We save time. Often it does not. And we end up failing miserably in the process, as was the case for me this week. Um, I just recently purchased an item that Instagram told me that I needed. Uh, so marketing works. I am your, 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 uh, your target. And uh, it's one of those standing desks. Have you seen one of these things? You push a button that, you know, so you can sit down like this for a little while. And then you realize, oh, this probably isn't healthy for me. I got strong quads. You guys see that? Uh, you type in like, oh, it's bad for my back. I'd like to burn some calories. So, you know, you push a button and the desk comes up and then you stand up. It, mine actually came with like this little surfboard thing that I can stand on. I'm like, I am burning so many calories right now. This is amazing. My core is engaged. I start dancing. It's a great desk. Um, but when the desk was purchased, I immediately received an email back from the manufacturer. And in that email was a video showing me how to assemble the desk. They literally hired a film team, they got together, they filmed people building it so that they could save me time. I did not watch the video. A couple of days later, I get another email from the manufacturer after the thing is shipped, and there's a bunch of photographs of people who are putting together the desk, step by step, to save me time, to save me headache. I didn't look at the email. When the items arrive, I open up the box, there is a letter on the top of the box reminding me that the manufacturer has sent me two emails with videos and with photos, which is basically the nice way of, please don't call us, just do what we told you to do. I ignored the letter, crumpled it up. The instruction manual that was very comprehensively written right underneath that, set that aside 
and I went about the process of building the desk. And the reason I did so is because one of the bragging marketing tools of this company is that you can assemble this desk in 20 minutes or less. And in my mind, that communicated, if I could do this in 20 minutes, I probably don't need to spend 10 of them on the instructions. It's gonna be pretty simple. Anyone wanna guess how long it took me to assemble the desk? Yeah, three hours, okay, so, and here's why. Because I assembled it partially, realized I missed a step, disassembled the desk, built it a second time, thought, oh, I still missed a part, disassembled it again, and finally went back to the instruction manual and built it yet a third time. And on the third hour, when it was finally built, I looked over and I had this giant bag of parts that I'm pretty sure belong somewhere on the desk. But at that point, I'm three hours invested and I'm like, I am not building this thing any longer. So there's a good chance it's still constructed incorrectly in my office. I could die at any moment while I'm on this desk, but I'm done. I am done building the desk. I've already invested too much. And I bet you'll never guess who I was frustrated with when I found this extra bag of parts and the desk wasn't built right. Yeah, the manufacturer. <laughs> if they had just done something a little clearer, if they'd only sent me a couple of videos or some photos to build this thing, then perhaps I wouldn't be so frustrated. Of course, of course, I got mad at them and not at myself. What happened? Well, I, I didn't follow their plans. They had sent me some plans that were very clear, but I decided to take matters into my own hands, follow my own plans, and ended up wasting time and with a poorly constructed product. There, there was a designer, an architect, an engineer that spent all this time carefully crafting something that was good for me. They, they knew that I needed to stand while I work. They knew that I needed to be safe when I assembled this desk. They, they had all of, all of what I needed in their heart and in their mind when they designed this product, but I decided to push their ideas and their plans aside and to build it according to the way I thought it should be built. One could say, for I know the plans I had for you, declares Uplift Desk. <laughs> plans to help you not to harm you. Plans to make you more productive and help you burn calories. But Tim ruined his day by following his own foolish plans and later blamed the manufacturer. I hope you understand what I'm doing right now. Because I'm laying it on pretty thick. <laughs> you should be mopping up what I'm spilling at this point, all right? Because this is not a furniture assembly problem. Yes, it might be something that we've all experienced before, but I think this problem is innate in the heart, mind, experience of man. This is a human problem. We all have this propensity to concoct, to craft these great plans for our life to, to try to do things our own way, rugged individualism, and I'm gonna make my own path and be the master of my own destiny. I'm gonna do me, boo-boo, that's what I'm gonna do. And then we end up screwing up our lives. The bottom falls out from underneath us, and instead of looking back in the mirror and understanding, I probably brought this on myself, we get angry with our creator, and we say, how could you let this happen to me? We ruin our lives by our own foolish plans. And then later we are angry with the Lord. And ultimately that is the context of this famously quoted scripture in the book of Jeremiah. It is a context that is found in people who have pursued their own plans for a really long period of time and have paid the price for pursuing their own plans but find themselves angry with God as a result of it. Allow me to explain. When God comes to the prophet Jeremiah, 
and he says, I want you to go to my people and speak that I have good plans for their life to prosper them and not to harm them, to give them a hope and a future. This is not a new plan. This is not the first time God has spoken this to his people. These plans have existed for literally 700 years by the time they make their way to Jeremiah. If you back all the way up to the book of Joshua as the Israelites are crossing over and they're making their way into the promised land, maybe not the exact same words, but the same intention, God begins to articulate his plans for his people. He says, I'm allowing you to walk across this barrier. And even as you come up out of the other side of this barrier, it's almost prophetic. This is a physical act that's gonna symbolize what I'm doing in the spirit for you. No longer are you gonna go back to your ways of slavery where you're in bondage and you have to eat at the hands of your oppressors and you have to deal with warfare. And I'm gonna bring you into this place where there is prosperity a land that's flowing with milk and honey. You're gonna reap from vineyards you didn't plant and you're gonna assume real estate that you never developed. Like, I have good plans for you and they are to prosper you. I know that your past looked hopeless, but I'm giving you hope for your future. I've got a good plan set before you, but there's one condition. You have to stick to the plan. If you stick to my plan, everything good I have planned for you is gonna come to pass in your life. And the plan is simple. I wanna be the Lord your God, and, I, and that's it. You don't get any other gods but me. Don't serve idols. Don't serve the customs and the gods of the nations surrounding you. Just devote your heart fully and completely to me. And if I am your God, you will be my people, and I will prosper you at every step along the way. It was that simple. And for a season, they did. For a season, they conquered the enemy nations, they lived at peace eventually, they assumed all the land, they, they inherited the prosperity. But then, bit by bit, moment by moment, they begin to deviate from God's plan and pursue their own version of a plan for their lives. God said, I want to be your king, I want to be your leader. But the people said, we want a different king, we want a different leader. And from the book of Judges, all the way through the book of Daniel, for a period of about 700 years, you see the rise and fall of kings and leaders and judges, some of whom served God and tried to turn the hearts of the people back to the Lord, but most of whom turned the hearts of the people away from God as they embraced the cultures and the practices of the nations surrounding them. They ended up finding themselves in situations where they were indulging in pagan traditions sleeping with temple prostitutes. Some of them even sacrificed their own children on the altars of foreign gods. They continued to pursue their own plans, thinking that this is what they wanted for their life. Until eventually, God gave them what they thought they wanted. Eventually, God said, if those are the plans that you wanna pursue, I'm going to allow you to fall prey to your own plans. And I will exit the scene. I will step away and you'll reap the fruit of what you've been planting. Where'd they end up? Back in exile, captivity, for 70 years at the hands of the Babylonians. All that prosperity, gone. All that land, gone. Everything that God had allowed them to build, burned to the ground. At a distance from him, in desolation, depression, exile, all because they wanted to pursue their own plans instead of submit to the plan that God had for them all along. And I'd like to believe that 
as we consider this story, I'd like to believe that as we have a book that literally catalogs their failure, that, that we could learn some lessons from their poor decisions. I'd like to believe that when I read the scriptures I, and, and I read about the stories of failed regimes and kings that turn the people's heart away from God, that I could go, okay, I'm not gonna make the same mistake. I'm gonna run after God's plan for my life. But let's be honest for a moment, shall we? Here we are a couple thousand years later and humanity is pretty much doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. Time and time again, we find ourselves with opportunity to choose, are we going to pursue the plan that God has for our lives or are we going to continue to attempt to build our own lives, pursue our own plans to our own demise? And time and time again, we find ourselves pursuing our own plans and paying the price for it. Time and time again, we find ourselves in exile, at a distance from God, no longer experiencing freedom, no longer experiencing the prosperity. And then, if we're not careful, doing exactly what these guys did, looking up at heaven and blaming God for where we ended up. Yeah, that's exactly what they did. And maybe you're here today. Maybe that describes the season you find yourself in. Maybe you are watching online or you're here in the room and you find yourself at a season paying the price for your own plans, for pursuing your good plan for your life. Maybe you feel like you're at a distance from God. Maybe you are shaking the fist at heaven saying, God, how could you let me get here? How, how did I end up here? Like, I thought you loved me and I thought you had a plan for my life. Well, maybe it's a moment that the Holy Spirit brought you into church this morning so that you could come to this place where you realize Proverbs chapter 19, what their own king wrote to them. A person ruins their life by following their own foolish plans. But I can't blame God for that. It's not God's fault I ended up where I'm at. No, this, this was of my doing. And, and if that proverb hits a little bit too hard, here's another one for you. It's a modern day version of it. I read this online. Everything happens for a reason. Sometimes that reason is that you make bad decisions. <laughs> Stitch that one into a pillow and put it on your bed, why don't you, all right? Maybe that's your reality today. Maybe your reality is like, I am here because of the decisions that I've made and I'm not pleased with where I've ended up. I am not happy with how my plans have played out. Well, let me offer you some good news. Let's bring the nose of this plane up for just a moment. And it's the same good news that God offered through the prophet Jeremiah to a group of people who found themselves in the middle of a failed season. God still has a plan. God still has a plan for your life. He still has a plan for your future. You have not lost the right to prosperity or his goodness. You have not handed it all in because of your own failed plans and now you have to live the rest of your life in exile and in desolation. No, God still has a good plan for your life. He still wants to prosper you. He still wants to give you a hope and a future. I actually wish if I could rewrite this scripture, which is not allowed because I'm not God, but if I could, I would add the word still in here because this is a 700 year old promise. When he looks at his people in the midst of failure, he's not just telling them for the first time, he's reminding them, I still have plans to prosper you. I still want to give you a hope and I still want to give you a future. Let me talk to a couple of people in here who've invested some time making some mistakes and living in the fruit of your own plans. God is not done with you. I know you're 26 and you think you've ruined your life, but there's actually still a future. Yes, even at 26 years old, even at 86 years old, come on. God still has some good plans for your life. 
If your plans have decimated you, he can still prosper you. If your plans have left you hopeless, he can still give you a fresh sense of hope. And if your plans have ruined your past, come on, he still has a future for you if you will submit yourself to the plan. That's the beauty of this scripture. That is the context of this scripture. It wasn't written to some people who'd been doing things right and finally qualified for God's good plan. It was written to people who were in the middle of a season of failure and their own self-imposed place of bondage. And into that setting, God said, I have a good plan for you. I have a plan to prosper you and to give you a hope and a future. So, as is the case with every sermon, here comes the moment, the moment of conflict, of decision, of self-assessment, where I ask you that question that you hate, but you've been thinking about for the last couple of moments. Whose plan are you pursuing? Seriously, sit in that for a moment. Whose plan are you pursuing? Yours or God's plan? Whose plan? And maybe that sounds like a complicated question because you're like, I don't know. Um, I think I'm pursuing God's plan. Like, I'm going to be honest. I've had that in my life before. Where, like, I think I'm doing the will of God, but I'm not entirely sure. Like, is this his plan for my life? Let me, let me simplify it, all right? Let's, let, let's make this as easy as possible. God's plan is simple. It's to prosper you, to give you hope, and to give you a future. So, are you prospering? Do you have hope for your future? If so, you're probably walking in God's plan. And let me just, again, let me make, make a, a disclaimer here. Prospering does not always mean pleasant circumstances. <laughs> Prospering doesn't mean that like the bills are paid, everybody's healthy, everything in my life is going well right now. That's not the definition of prospering. Prospering is a soul condition, not necessarily a circumstantial condition, okay? Peter, Peter was being persecuted, but he was still prospering. Paul was in prison, but he was still prospering. John was on the island of Patmos and he was still prospering. I can do other P words if you want me to. There's a lot of people in, the, in scriptures who were walking through painful seasons but were still prospering. You could be walking through the worst season of your life right now. It could feel like everything around you is falling apart, but you could still have a hope for a future and you could still prosper in the dead center of whatever you're walking through. So prospering is not just pleasant circumstances. Prospering is a soul condition. So, again, let me ask, whose plan are you pursuing? And as you consider that, if you don't like the answer, then today, the Holy Spirit is making an invitation to you. Today, God is asking you, son, daughter, will you let me do my job? Will you let me charter the plans for your life? Will you let me lead you? Will you let me write your future? Or, or, or are you gonna to continue to do your own thing and run after your own plans only to experience the reality of Proverbs 19 over and over and over and over again? Which plan do you want? And if you've chosen wisely and you say, I want God's plan, then that's gonna require something of us. In fact, that's where this becomes a two-part sermon because as the way I see it, there's a couple of things that, fit into our role when it comes to pursuing God's plan for our life. Today I'll give you the first, next week I'll give you the second. But as it pertains to the message today, our role in pursuing God's plan is very simple. It's one word, ready? Surrender. 
That's it. Not complicated, run through the hoops, know the Bible cover to cover, memorize the right scriptures, surrender. If we're going to lay hold of God's perfect plan for our lives, it's going to require the complete and total surrender of the plans that we have written for our lives. Now, that's a whole lot easier said than done. Okay, amen, yeah. Yeah, and now I'll try to live that one out. It's a tough one, and here's why. Because we're pretty heavily invested in the plans that we've created for our lives. Some of us have invested a lot of time in the plans that we've written for our lives. Some of us have invested a lot of money in the plans that we've made for our lives. Let's get real. Some of us have invested a lot of education in the plans that we have for our lives. Some of us, our entire identity is wrapped up in the plans that we have made for our lives. And so when God asks us to surrender our plans, it could mean the surrendering of all the investment, all the identity, even the education that we've, we've, we've brought to the table and submitted to God and said, here's my plan for my life. And he's like, yeah, that's not what I had for you. Yeah, it is costly to surrender your plan to God. But the benefits far outweigh the cost. Are you willing to surrender everything to lay hold of his plan? I remember when I was in my, um, my 20s, many, many decades ago, um, I was invited into a, a group called Timothy Saul. My pastor used to do this thing. Um, every 18 months, he'd invite a new group of 12 to 15 people to uh, step into this thing called Timothy Cell, where it was kind of his ministry training opportunity. And every other Sunday for 18 months after church, we would study theology, we would learn how to teach, we'd talk about leadership issues, we'd discuss uh, world events, all that stuff, and just ask ourselves, can, can we really step into ministry? Are we prepared for this? Is this something God's called us to do? And it was, it was amazing. It was the greatest training opportunity I ever had. But um, in the midst of that group of 14 or 15, there were two of us that my pastor made no secret he felt were the most called into ministry, myself and another guy. And if I'm gonna be honest, I, I think I was probably the consolation prize in the matter. <laughs> like the other guy was clearly more gifted than I was, clearly more called than I was. But, you know, he figured out ah, if this guy messes it up, then we've got Tim in the, in, in, in the bench. I'm like, okay, I got this, all right? Uh, so, so he starts training us up and often he would pull the two of us aside and he would invest a little bit of extra time in us. But he could see that both of us were gonna have a very difficult time stepping into the plan that God had for our future because both of us were pretty heavily invested in our own plans for our life. At that season, um, I was, yeah, I was in my 20s, but I'd spent some time building a business and the business had become pretty successful. And um, I had convinced myself, as many of us do, that God's call, God's high plan for my life was to work in business, to be successful, and to fund whatever uh, endeavor the, the pastor had. I, I, I literally, anytime he had a vision to do something, whether it was to start a new outreach program or fund this orphanage over here or give money over there, I knew that our business could play a major role in, in making that come to pass. And I just feel like the Holy Spirit would say, there's someone here today. I'm just kidding. No. Uh, <laughs> but... But I, I, it was a noble call as far as I was concerned. Like, okay, do business, make money, fund the kingdom. And I got to do some of the other cool stuff on the side. I'd preach occasionally and play drums at church. And I'm like, I kind of have the best of both worlds here. And that was my plan for my life. Uh, my friend, he, uh, he was working in an industry that was incredibly difficult to become successful in. And 
uh, he had seen a bit of success and it looked like a lot of doors were opening up to him. And as those doors began to open up, it seemed pretty obvious that uh, if he worked hard enough and continued to invest his life and time in this, he could kind of work his way up to the top. And it, it was a pretty awesome opportunity. And so as far as he was concerned, hey, this is God elevating me to a place of influence in this industry that not a lot of Christians ever get to step into. And this is how God's gonna use me in my future. So both of us had our plans. But our pastor saw that those plans could be the biggest stumbling block for us stepping into what God had for our future. And he wasn't shy in telling us over and over again that there were gonna be some moments where we were gonna have to make decisions. Do I want God's plan or am I gonna pursue my own? And I'll never forget a conversation. He pulled me aside and he said, hey, Tim, you think you're special, which is always a great way to start out a conversation. Uh, You think you're special because you're in your 20s and you're making good money and you've seen some success and you know, you've even convinced yourself that this is God's call. And he said, but I just want to tell you, you're not that special. I'm like, cool, okay, thanks, Pastor. I appreciate it. All right, have, have a good day, you know. <laughs> he said, no, you're not that special because if you look around the Bay Area, there's plenty of people in their 20s waking, making way more money with a lot more influence than you'll ever have. And it's not really that special that you can make money. But let me tell you what is special. The way I've seen you lead young people is special. The way I've seen you study the word and the revelation that God gives is, as you begin to mine the scriptures and the way that you have uh, the ability to articulate the word of God, that is unique in the body of Christ. And I'm not saying this to you know, pump myself up, but these are the words my pastor used to me. And he said, that's unique and that's special. And there's gonna be a moment where you're gonna have to make a decision. Do I want what God has for my future? Am I gonna lay hold of this call for ministry or am I gonna continue to cling to my own plan for my life? And you're gonna have to make that decision. And I'll never forget a moment with my friend in a prophetic setting where there were some people praying for us. A pastor came over and he laid hands on my friend's shoulder and he said, I see this picture of a fork in the road. And the fork in that road is an opportunity for you to choose the path you wanna go down and the industry that you've chosen, or you're gonna have to completely lay that down if you want what God has for your future. And I remember thinking, even as he said that, that doesn't feel like God. In fact, I remember even going home and having that conversation with my wife and like, wait a minute, hold on, okay. This guy has seen incredible success in an industry that's nearly impossible for Christians to break into. And if I were God, just playing this out, and I was to make a plan for his life, I would elevate him to the highest space as a person of faith and use his life as an influence to all the people in that industry that desperately need Jesus? Like, come on, this is strategic. It seems very narrow-minded to say that he cannot go down that path and still serve God and lay hold of God's plan for his life. But my pastor made it clear by prophetic word, there's gonna be a fork in the road and you're gonna have to choose. Now, let me just say this. For him and for me, that was God's plan. Full-time ministry is not God's plan for everybody's life, okay? God knows the world does not need dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of new pastors, okay? Some of us have already screwed things up enough. We don't need everybody else to jump on the bandwagon. (laughs) Like the high call for your life is probably completely different than the high call for my life. Some of us are called industry and medicine and, and tech and all the areas where people work in here. God has a plan for your life that is specific and it's usually unique to your gifting. And we can talk a little bit more about that next week, but please don't assume that I'm saying everybody's high call is ministry. But for him and for me, It was, and we had to make a decision. And I remember the forks in the road. I remember the moments where I had to decide, am I going to pursue my own plan and cling to what I think is good, 
only to sacrifice what is truly God? Or am I gonna pursue what he has for me? And fortunately, by the grace of God, I, I think I chose correctly. I, I, I did choose correctly, okay? <laughs> uh, but, 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 as we sit in this room today, my friend is still facing forks in the road over and over and over again. Because for the last 15 years, he's continued to choose his own plan instead of God's plan. In fact, he's done something that many of us try to do. We try to hold God hostage to our own plan. You should bless this one, God. This is a great plan I have for my life. Look at it, it's amazing. Would you bless this one? Why are you not blessing me? Because you're not surrendering to my plan. You've tried to pursue your own. What he's experiencing and what many of us have experienced in our life is God is not obligated to plans he never originated. He's only obligated to the plans that he's written for your life. It says this in Psalms chapter 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. Unless God is the architect, unless he's the one who's drawn up the plans for your life, you could spend the rest of your days on this side of eternity trying to build something in vain. It will never come to pass. It will never look the way it's supposed to. You'll have a bag of spare parts left over at the end of your life because you didn't stick to the plan. But if you will surrender your plans, if you will lay everything at the feet of Jesus, he will give you exactly what your heart desires, exactly what you desperately want. But the prospering is in the surrendering. The hope is in the surrendering. The future is in the surrendering. Surrendering will proceed. Until your plans are put to death, you will never experience the life that's available in his plan for you. And so the decision is, is simple today. Not simple to make, but simply understood. Am I going to continue to pursue my own plans or am I gonna surrender those so I can lay hold of God's? And even this week while I was praying for this, in fact, band, you guys can come, so I stopped talking. The, as I was praying for this this week, I just, I saw this picture and I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of us right now. And, and here's the picture that I saw. I saw somebody sitting on the side of a table and they pulled out like the blueprints to a construction project and they just, they put those blueprints down on a table. And I saw God on the other side of that table take those blueprints and stash them behind him and then pull out another set from the other side and hand them back to him and said, okay, now we can start to build together. I believe that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do for some people today, an exchange. Hand me over what you've been trying to build and failed miserably in the process and let's start building the life that I have for you together. He's got good plans for you to prosper, to give you hope, to give you a future. And I pray that you will lay hold of those today through surrender, amen? amen. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Let me pray this over us today. Holy Spirit, I thank you that um, you never leave us forever in the bad fruit of our own decisions. You never leave us in a pit and say, well, you, you dug this one for yourself so you can just stay there. 
No, the Bible says the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, that you will reach down into any pit, yes, even the ones that we've dug for ourselves. In fact, especially the ones we've dug for ourselves, and you will pull us out. Today, I'm sure that there are plenty of people here that would say, I find myself experiencing the reality of trying to follow my own failed plans, and today I'm ready to surrender those things back to God. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would give us the strength, that you would give us the clarity, the wisdom, the ability to make that decision right now. If that's you, even in your heart, just you can commune right now with the Lord. Just say, I I give you these things. I give you these things. And and even as I'm praying that, I'm sure there's someone who's thinking, okay, well, well, now what? Like, what, what does the next step look like? Well, the Bible says in Proverbs that the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. So don't worry about the next step. He'll give you the next step. Right now, our job is simply to surrender them to Him. So Jesus, we lay these things at your feet. We lay these things at your feet. And as I'm praying, I'd also assume that there's probably someone here that would say, hey, Tim, I, I, I have spent a rather long period of time building my own life, but I don't know if God does have plans for me. I'm not in relationship with Him, so I don't... I wouldn't know that he has a good plan for my life. This is the first time I've even hearing anything like this. And maybe that's you. Maybe you'd say that you are at a distance from God, your own self-imposed state of exile, but you know that you need to get things right with Jesus before you leave this place. That's why you're here today, because the Holy Spirit was calling your name and making a spot for you to get things right with him before we conclude. If that is you, nobody is looking around. I wanna pray a very simple prayer of commitment with you. Give your heart to Jesus. But before I do that, I'd love to see who I'm praying with. If you could be bold without anybody looking around, if you need to get things right with God before you leave this place and you know you need to make a decision to follow him, would you quickly lift up your hand and look at me? Got you right there in the back. Yeah, right there, real awesome. Yes, right there. Can't see. Yeah, right there, awesome, yeah. Awesome, yeah, another one there. Come on. Oh yeah, okay, right over there. Thank you, come on. Jesus is drawing some people to himself today. All right, I'm gonna say a simple prayer and as I say this, Please just follow along in your heart. The words are not important. The condition of your heart truly is the most important thing. But I just wanna guide you in this decision. Just pray this with me. Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. Today I choose to follow you. I'm tired of building my life and paying the price for following my own plans. I want what you have for me. And so I surrender everything. I go back, I deconstruct my life and I go back to step one and I begin to build the way that you're asking me to. Help me to be your disciple, to walk in your ways, to follow you from this day forward until I see you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, can we just thank God for those five or six people who lifted their hand today? Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.